0: All right, church, um, if you will, grab your Bibles, and uh, you can meet me in Psalm uh, chapter 23. Psalm 23 is where we'll be this morning. Um, tell you a quick story. Um, over sabbatical, um, I got to go horseback riding with my dad. Uh, my dad is really into horses. Uh, he has been my whole life, and there were seasons of my life where I was into horses with him and not so into horses with him, and that was a sad time for my dad because like, I was like his constant little riding buddy, Right. Uh, but I had an experience that got, like, threw me off the horse beside the highway, and I knocked the breath out of me, and it was all, a, a big to-do. And so every time I'd see him out there get a saddle, I would get this you know, feeling in my gut of like, oh no, I'm going to have to do that again. Um, but I've re- had this renewed sense in uh, riding horses with my dad. It's one of the great times that I get to have conversations with him, uh, talk about stuff. Um, to uh, It's kind of funny, like when it comes to uh, men in particular, uh, we tend to... Uh, bottle our stuff up. We, we're not known for just, hey, uh, who wants to get together and just uh, sit face to face and tell each other our deepest, darkest secrets? That doesn't really happen for dudes, right? So, but it, what happens for guys is they get in situations where they're doing things side by side. You're telling things a- along the way. And we had this experience riding these horses in Uori, sharing stories. And, and as we were doing so, we, we happened upon this huge uh, thicket of blackberries. And it was just this beautiful moment of us along the way, because we had been riding horses uh, together for years, making all these memories, having all these conversations, but that one particular moment of the Blackberries was something that we couldn't have experienced had we not put in the work in the other places, had we not learned to to ride these horses, to train them, to be able to to go the distance, uh, knowing uh, the capacity of our horse, knowing all of that other stuff. And along the way, there will be these instances uh, where you make memories, uh, where you, you remember these moments, have these kind of key memories that happens. And I, I want us to see, as we walk through Psalm 23 this morning, to see what God has for us in the, the normal stuff of life where He, God, does the work of bringing us rest and restoring our souls Um, But before we dive into the text, I want to remind us all why we should care about a song written by an ancient king of Israel. I got to choose my text this morning, which isn't normal for me. Like, it's normal for us to walk through books of the Bible together. And so next week, we're going to kick off Ephesians, and we're going to be in Ephesians all through the fall because we want to um, get back to the basics of what it means to be a church and and work on this foundational teaching about the church in Ephesians. Uh, But seeing that work in Ephesians uh, will help prepare us to be able to root ourselves in our new church home at 584 South Riley Road. And can I get an amen? It might be the best Christmas present I've ever received as a a church, right? Yeah, we can thank God for that. But why should we care about this psalm? Uh, First, we really do believe that the, the Bible is God's word to us. That both there's divine and human partnership in the writing of these words, but if you're here this morning kind of investigating the claims of Jesus, and maybe you've been waiting for God to speak to you, I've got news for you, He already has. He's given us His words. Secondly, not only are these words of God to us, but these words comfort us, they rebuke us, they shape us. This is the primary means by which we're meant to be shaped into people that are obedient to Jesus and advance the gospel. These words, the words of the Bible, show us how to live and come under Scripture as our authority. See, the Bible isn't a collection of like fairy tales and stories with just good moral uh, kind of tropes in them. It's not Aesop's fables. This is God's means of leading us into a way of life that leads to our flourishing. So, how can we believe that is true? A lot of us believe that the Bible itself is true, but. How do we believe that God really does want to lead us in a way that results in our flourishing? I feel like many of us have doubts about that. We can believe this because in the grand story of all of creation, God has shown that in all of things, he has made good on all of his promises. That from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible speaks one unified story about the person of work coming, to rescue us from the curse of death by sending his own son to die for us on the cross to show us his, how much he does love us through that action. And he resurrected, Jesus did, to made a way for us to experience eternal life in him. This is the good news that Christians have been absolutely gathering together and, and proclaiming with, with great clarity and consistency over the past 2,000 years. And so if you're a doubter or skeptic here, You might be asking yourself, why has the news of this resurrected Israeli man changed the entire course of billions of people's lives? And here is the truth. There's something in the soul of every person that that ever lived that just feels missing. It feels our souls uh, feel burnt out. Maybe there's too many hard things that have happened in your life and you feel calloused. Maybe you feel depressed or maybe you feel like, There's nothing that really, truly satisfies. See, what we all long for, satisfaction, joy, hope, being rid of our guilt, friendship, guidance, hope for the future, all of that is found in Jesus. See, if you're looking for satisfaction, Jesus says he's the fountain that never runs dry. If you're looking for joy, he says in John 15, that as you abide in him, you will get his joy, like the God God joy that he has, and that your joy would be full. You get forgiveness of your sins. You get inclusion to the family of God, Jesus' church, both universal and local here in this body. That's why we think partnership is so important in this local church, and we get the hope that Jesus is with us by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, which means that you're never alone, and one day, Jesus will return to make all things new. See, the reason why I'm giving you all of this up front is because Psalm 23 is a proclamation that God is at work in the lives of those who follow him. And if you haven't heard the good news of the gospel, you have now. And we must read this psalm with those gospel glasses in front of us to see that this is the way that God interacts with us as his followers. See, Psalm 23 was written by a man who lived these words that we're about to read. That this psalm is a testimony, and as we read it, it should awaken the longings in our own hearts that might feel weak or calloused or numb to this testimony about how God shepherds us like this, the truth of it. And it should reinvigorate the weak faith that we might have that God is with us in the valleys and fill us with hope that God will restore us in the ways we so desperately need. My main point is simple this morning. It'll come up on the screen That God does the miraculous work of restoring our souls as we rest in him. I'll give you a roadmap for the rest of our time together. We're going to read Psalm 23, and we'll zoom in on verses 1 through 3 in particular and do the hard work of asking the question, how should the truth of these words change our lives? There's three points, very simple. God's work, our rest, and the resurrection of our souls. Um, if you don't have your Bible open to Psalm 23, I'm going to read it for us now. If you grab one of those black, hardback Bibles on the way in and you're new here, consider that Bible our gift to you. Take it home, keep it. we'd love to replace it. Here, Church, the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Let's pray again, Church for God's help. Jesus, um, with this text, a a familiar text to many of us, um, God, I pray that the familiarity that we have with this psalm um, would not consume us and say, may we think inwardly that there's nothing else to learn here. I've seen these words, I've read these words, I've sang these words. God, I pray, would you take those callousing blinders off of us to see the beauty that you have for us in these words, the life and the hope that we can have because of these words and the testimony of King David that spoke these things, that even yet a king would say, I need a shepherd, Um, that this person that seemingly had everything would say, I have all that I need. Um, God, I pray that the, the miraculous truth that you really do restore our souls, God, Um, God, I pray that those of us that would doubt that this morning inwardly, um, God, that we would doubt those doubts, uh, that we would um, again place our trust and our hope in you and believe this good news of the gospel and have that just change everything about us and the way that we live. Jesus, I pray that you would um, be with me as I preach this morning, God, if I say anything Um, that it's unhelpful, untrue. God, I pray that it would be forgotten. Keep those words from my lips, and God, um, lead us all by the power of your Spirit now, um, as you do every time your church gathers. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as I've already said, this is a familiar text, Um, so I want to dive back in and remember that this is a real human uh, writing this uh, with real life experiences. Remember, uh, this is King David writing this psalm, Psalm 23, and David, in the life of the Bible, if you know anything about it, he was a shepherd. It was his first job, right? Um, And he spent a good portion of his life out there in the fields with the sheep. He knows exactly what this is like. So it's really important that we, we know that about David because when he claims that God, the Lord is my shepherd, he's making a very bold claim. See, David really had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death as well because he was hunted by Saul like an animal for like something like four years of his life. He was on the run, hiding out in caves. He knows what it's like to be in the valley. He, he, he experienced uh, the, the, the death of one of his children. Like if if you have been through really hard things in your life, you've seen a child die, you've experienced a miscarriage, David has been through that valley as well. He's speaking from experience here. He experienced deep relational disunity. Like one of his sons literally tried to kill him for a good portion of his life as well and take the throne from him. He has dealt with much sorrow in his life. And David was also king. And if you're king, you don't need someone to invite you to their table like this psalm says or to customarily anoint your head with oil because you're the one who does the anointing and your table is the one that you're inviting people to. But this is what this, this psalm speaks to us, this, we, this character, this person that was a real person and living in 2023 in the United States, us reading this, we also must acknowledge we've got it pretty good. Most of us live in relative comfort and abundance. I mean, there's restaurants on every corner, food in the fridge, some of it's going bad right now. At least half of us, I would wager, have that bag of like mealy spinach, you know, in, your, in the bottom of your refrigerator like right now, and you do the, you know, the, the performative act, the liturgy of the changing of the guards, you know, you take out the old mealy bag, you throw it in the trash, and you put another fresh bag in there, just going right to die for next week, right? We've, we, we live in relative abundance, you know? And see, it's, it's, it's helpful to acknowledge this because David is the perfect person to testify to us that even though he's a king, he needs a shepherd. That, look with me again at verses 1 through 3. Lord is my shepherd. David writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. The first thing we see this text does is that it reveals the truth about how we find rest, and that's in God's work. How many times do you see in these first three verses David doing something or initiating something? No, all along the way it says God makes him lie down in green pastures. That's God's work. He leads him beside still waters. God restores his soul. God leads him in paths of righteousness. For whose sake? His sake? No. His namesake. The Lord's namesake. He cannot betray his own character. He is just. He is good. And he will lead those who follow him in the ways of the just and the good. See, these are all essentially God's initiative and God's work in David's life. And so what do we see David doing here? You might say, nothing, right? Well, I think that that's a little bit too far. Don't forget in verse 1 what David says. He, He does two things. He identifies himself with God, and he demonstrates faith in God's character. See, saying the Lord is my shepherd is a theological statement, but it's also like saying like, I am on the team of God. I'm on team Jesus. I'm going to wear the Jesus jersey. In Hebrew, what David is saying, he's using the name Yahweh, the personal covenantal name for God, and saying that God is his shepherd. Also, too, he is admitting that it's a good thing that he is a sheep, that he needs leading. This is the guy who's leading all of Israel. He's going to made all the decisions. He was the king, and he says that he... Needs a shepherd. Remember, a king is writing this. David is the needy sheep king who needs a shepherd to bring him what he needs. See, to the outside world and to some of us, all this talk about need, this talk about being under the allegiance of God, might sound foolish. It certainly does to the rest of the world. This is where the Bible sounds like foolishness to the world, because to many in our society today, uh, we we. As a culture, we bow down to the idols of self-worship, making ourselves in our own image all the time, and independence at all costs. And if there's one guy that could have done it, it was David. He had all the resources, he could do whatever he wanted. Some of us are easily tempted to rage against the idea of someone or something having ultimate authority over us. Someone else that gets to call the shots. Authority to tell you who you are, what's right, what's wrong, How to live, I mean, if that's you, you're probably already getting a little itchy just hearing me say it out loud, like tension is building in you already. Let's flip the coin there. There's those of us who bristle at the idea that we need anything from anyone else, that we can earn anything for ourselves, that you don't ask for help because that's weak. Like you'd rather die than ask for help and accept a handout. You've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't understand why everybody else doesn't just do that too. Like, Just try harder, everyone. See, that's two sides really of the same coin of worshiping our own selves and our own independence. But what David says is something completely different. I mean, let me ask you, how's that going for you? Are you stressed out? Are you constantly anxious about everything? Are you growing cynical and bitter? So you might find yourself in this deadly cycle of being continually outraged by every new political or social controversy that kind of pops up on your Twitter thread. See, Psalm 23 shows us that there's another way. As we rest in the truth that God is our shepherd and believe that we aren't missing out on anything, that we really do have everything that we need when we have Jesus. We really do have everything that we need when God is our shepherd. When we believe that, it makes this miraculous restoration of our souls actually possible. That those of us who feel weak in faith, that we need to believe this good news and put these words on our lips. We need to actually sing louder in this gathering because we need to put those truths on our lips to actually press them down into our heart, to get this gospel in our guts. And those of us who feel like we're feeling pretty strong we don't really need Jesus to shepherd us because our lives are already pretty great anyways. We must realize that, like verse 4 says, the valley of the shadow of death is coming. You're going to walk through it. And in that moment, you're going to want this good God, this shepherd, his rod and his staff, not to be the rod and staff of discipline, but the rod and staff of comfort for you in the places of your deepest needs. This text shows us that the truth of God's word that makes our rest possible but not only that that our request our arrest requires something let's ponder this question together what if we really believed that god was our shepherd what if we believed that in him we really did had everything else we needed just allow yourself to ponder that for a second just two seconds how would that change your life if you really did believe these really simple words I think it would free us from the things that tend to enslave us, from the vices that we run to, the lesser things that we tend to distract ourselves with and waste our time with constantly. You know that that thing you got in your pocket that you do this with daily? The the, the things that you give yourself to, the TV shows and the the Netflix, I'm not saying any of that is bad. I'm saying they're lesser things. When we continually give ourselves over to them, we begin to believe, I need this. To survive, it's hard for us to say, like David, I shall not want, I have everything that I need. See, this brings us to the second thing this text reveals what our rest looks like. See, if we believe this, we would place ourselves under the loving shepherding of King Jesus in every sphere of our lives. And what that would result in is our lives reflecting the same testimony that David shares in Psalm 23. Think about what David has said here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his namesake. That as we spent time in God's word, God would make us to truly rest as we lie down in green pastures where we can actually be fed by him. That as we went to God in prayer, that we would Enjoy deep communion with God where he leads us beside still waters, not the chaos that, that the world around us wants to constantly bombard us with, with news. News isn't bad, but if news is like half of what you do in a day, you're going to be stressed out. As we obeyed God's word and what it says about morality, that what we do with our bodies, our time, and our money, what we spend energy on, we would be able to turn around and say... God leads me in paths of righteousness. He does so for his namesake. It's his good pleasure to lead you in paths of righteousness. And finally, we would experience the restoration of our souls. See, I know that sounds like a tall order, the restoration of our souls. And that's because it is. See, what I said at the beginning, that in every human that's ever existed, there's been this sense of, of loss, this sense of like there's a hole in me that can't be filled, that there's, there's something that's missing, there's, there's ways that I know that I'm deficient, there's things that I need that I can't grasp. This is what I believe David is getting here about the restoration of our souls, and if, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think we can all see this first in the light of our salvation, that when we place our hope and trust in God... And God gave us eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. And we joyfully said, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my hope. That moment of salvation is true. But then also God gave us new appetites for his word. A new brand new sense of self that you're God's possession and, and one through the cross of Christ. But this soul restoration isn't just a one-time thing. Or a mountaintop experience that you've got to go chase in the the, the mountains of South America somewhere. You've got to go on some soul-searching journey. No, this soul restoration is not a one-time thing. David says this restoration is to be continually experienced as we are shepherded by God. Later in the New Testament, Jesus would tell us that he is the good shepherd. No doubt riffing off of this exact same thing that comes out throughout the Bible that God is our shepherd. And Jesus tells us this in John 10. This will come up on the screen. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Go in and out and find pasture, green pastures. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, He tries to in the valley. Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am. The good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How do we know that God wants to restore our souls? We look at the cross of Christ. God would give his only son, die the death of a sinner, be mocked, be laid in a borrowed tomb and resurrect three days later. God would go through all of that to show us he really does love us. He really does care for us. He wants to shepherd our souls. He wants to make us nasty sheep that are just running around. He wants to bring us into his fold because when we hear the voice of our shepherd, listen, we're invited in. And you know who protects us? It's Jesus. In, in that time, when they would have uh, sheep pens or whatever, there'd be kind of like a C-shape. And you know where the shepherd would sleep? At the door, because he was the door. He protected anything coming in, and he protected the sheep from getting out. So, follower of Jesus here. This is really good news. Like Jesus keeps you. Like you are kept by God. But then also you are protected by God. That even though you walk through valleys of uh, the shadow of death, we can really say, Fear no evil. I've got a shepherd who's got a rod and a staff it's not there to beat me up. It's there to protect me. It's there to lead me and guide me and keep me from going off to the left or the right. He's going to lead me in paths of righteousness straight through the valley of shadow of death. Jesus does that keeping work in our lives. See, this is how we experience this abundant life, where we are led by God and continually having our souls restored. This is it. Right here. It's happening in this gathering right now with the proclamation of God's word. It's going to happen tomorrow morning when you step your two feet out of bed and you're going to choose that day who you're going to serve. Are you going to worship God? Are you going to go to God as your, you're going to go to his word as your only food? Are you going to fill yourself up with something else? Are you going to choose to step in a different direction? See, we want a secret sauce that we can just kind of dash all over the kind of, our life a salad or whatever and that would bring us this soul-restoring contentment in God. We want that one experience. We want that one thing, but it's not that. God has chosen to use in what other places in the New Testament, I think, would be like the weak, shaming the strong things. He's chosen normal, everyday discipleship and commitment to Him as the means by which our souls are restored. So, I know that I just got to go on a three-month sabbatical. I know, that you military guys in the room, you aren't going to get a three-month sabbatical unless you retire, and then the rest of your life is a sabbatical, right? No, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get the, the, these ama- like a, a one-stop shop to fix your whole life, and that's what I learned on sabbatical. The point of the sabbatical was coming back with normal, everyday rhythms that filled my soul in Christ. And somewhere along the way, God does this miraculous work of bringing and restoring things in me that I didn't even know I needed, that I didn't even know I was suffering from. This, that growing inner cynicism, that inner critic that's critical of everything else outside of yourself. And if you're like me, maybe you don't express it outwardly, but inwardly, whew, man. Like, it was death by a thousand self-inflicted paper cuts. Just couldn't see good in a lot of things. Couldn't be truly joyful because I was inwardly, you know, stressed out about something. But in the normal, everyday discipleship to Jesus, we're going to be shepherded by God like David talks about here. We're not going to need anything else. See, Jesus says this in Matthew 16 come up on the screens. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, many of us spend most of our lives working towards ends that we think will satisfy and they never do we're like the pirates and the pirates of the caribbean where we've given ourselves over we think we could grab this treasure and have it for ourselves but what it really did is it numbed us to everything that's good we've lost the taste for life we've lost the taste for good and joy but what god wants to do in each and every one of us as his followers of jesus if you're a sheep he wants to restore your soul He's committed, radically committed to this soul-restoring work. But we must choose it. We must choose in the normal daily stuff of life to place our hope in Jesus rather than anything else. Not politics, not your favorite hobby, not your family, not your job, only Jesus. None of those things are wrong or bad. You must choose Jesus above all else. See, reading your Bible and actually believing that this book allows you to commune with God, like... This isn't optional. This is the means of which God has spoken to us. We must see it as our, the thing that brings nourishment to our souls. And we also need to trust you've not only been saved by Jesus, but called to minister to others. You not only have been won by Jesus, you've been commissioned by Jesus to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. And I don't, I'm not just talking to the elders in the room. I'm not talking to the leaders in the room. I'm talking to every single follower of Jesus. And the way this plays out is in our community groups, in our neighborhoods, in your jobs. And if you serve in Veritas Kids, or if you just see my kids run around like crazy, you help in that act of helping disciple them towards Jesus. Because we are the family of God. We are the church of Christ. And we all act like it. Like live into those things that Jesus has called you to. See, I know I just got from, back from the sabbatical, but I believe that we all can do this. For some of us, it'll just be getting up early to pray. Read your Bible before you go to the gym. Like, carve out 10 minutes before you go to the gym and just spend time with God. And again, along the way, along the long haul of doing that, God meets us and speaks to us in ways that we could have never foreseen otherwise. Just in the normal, mundane obedience to Jesus. See, others will have the freedom to get away every once in a while and spend extended time in word and prayer. Do that. And, and, you know, 20-somethings, I'm talking to you, you know, a little less Xbox, a little bit more like Woods and Bible, you know, like you need it, It like fill your soul, I promise. But I could set aside, and maybe you can set aside an entire morning or evening and just give yourself to having your affections met by uh, and filled in Jesus. Now, those of us with young kids in the room, I get it. I've been there. We are there. We have a three year old. You know, it's, it's awesome to try to like see my, my three year old come out of the room in the morning, but it is tough to kind of carve out time for those things. But if you've got five minutes between naps, praise the Lord. Uh, you know, high five your kid when they get up and say, Mommy had a good time while, while you were asleep. Or if, the, if that's you at home, dads. Or maybe if you're a young follower of Jesus and you don't know where to start. You need to join a community group and get around other followers of Jesus who've been doing this thing longer than 15 seconds and say, hey, I need help here. I need to grow and I want to grow to look more like Jesus. And I like the way your marriage looks. Will you tell me how to not, you know, screw mine up? Like to the older folks in the room, like asking other people that seem knowledgeable about the Bible, hey, can we read the Bible together? Will you teach me how to read the Bible and that act of just simple, like asking a question somewhere, you'll see people light up. You'll see people say, sure, I'd love to do that. I'd love to meet with you for coffee. I'd love to be able to just hang out, let our kids run around and read the Bible together. See, it's, this is what it's all about as the body. It's about discipleship. It's literally the game plan that Jesus left his church with before he ascended. He said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them all I commanded you. And it must be the work that we are about here as a church. So in conclusion, God is radically committed to our continual restoration of our souls, but only insofar as we choose to submit to him as our shepherd. If you're hearing this morning, it feels scary to say the Lord alone is my shepherd. I actually need God in my life. Let me just tell you, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. I'm holding out hope for you that you can actually place your hope and trust in Jesus. For those of you that feel like, man, I'm missing something, this right here in front of you, choosing to actively claim him as the shepherd of your soul and trust him as the one who will provide for your every need because he will we can speak the words and have the same testimony as do many in the whole witness of Scripture and church history. We could say along with all the saints that have come before us, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. This testimony of God's faithfulness to bring our flourishing and restoration to whom he shepherds. And we can all stand as witnesses to his faithfulness. See, God really did restore me in gratitude um, over these past couple months and the joy that I didn't know was missing in my own life. God really did lead me beside still waters and restore my soul over sabbatical, but not maybe like you think he did. It wasn't because I went on some you know soul retreat. It wasn't because I did something uh, magical or whatever. No, it was then the normal everyday stuff of life, conversations with my kids, with my wife, and being obedient to Jesus in those things. And, and God can do that for you, and I, I pray that he would. Let me ask for God's help as we choose this together. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that we would um, really believe that you are our Lord and our shepherd, that you are our good king, not only that is one um, us to himself, um, but God, you have, um, you're extending this invitation into this abundant life that we can have in you as we uh, just prioritize uh, the things that you um, have deemed most important. God, thank you for showing um, your love and your care uh, for us through the cross. God, thank you for showing us the, 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 the links, the depths that you would go um, to sacrifice yourself, uh, to bring us into this family. And God, I pray um, that as we meditate on that, as we... Um, read your word and see the story and see your promises fulfilled again and again. God, it would just deepen our faith and hope um, that you really are a good God who loves us and leads us and that we really do have everything that we need as we come to you. God, I pray that we'd find our all in you as a church body. and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.